little bit last week to kind of keep our frame of reference on why we're talking about what we're talking about, why the Lord has us in this, in this book. Last week we talked specifically about our personal worship being the driving factor in our relationship with God. Um, the, and that the overflow of that relationship will cause us to live differently than those um, that we do life with that are in our culture, right? If we are pursuing the Lord and our relationship, our personal worship is that driving factor, our life is naturally going to look different from the other people in our culture. We ended uh, by talking about how we can't live for ourselves and for the kingdom. And today, this, as you know, we're going to continue on in chapter 5, and so it's a continuation of the same thought that the preacher has, but I want us to keep in mind as we, as we dive into our topic for today that the driving factor behind what we're talking about, again, is personal worship. This is not going to be a message of here are some rules to just live by for the sake of rules, but rather as we are pursuing the Lord and we're letting Him inform the decisions that we make, our lives are going to be different. With, and with that understanding that if we are going to be God's love in a broken world, it's going re, to require that we are more like God than we are of the world, right? The world doesn't need more of itself. It needs more of God, okay? And that requires that we allow God to define how we live and the decisions that we make, right? So what that really means is that God has to be the priority in our life. And anytime we get that out of whack, our life seems to kind of go out of whack, okay? This broken world needs to know the truth about who God is, and his plan for that is us. We talked about that today, but, but not an Americanized version of God, right? That's not what the world needs. We got enough of that, right? We need the truth about who God is. So that burden falls on us, the church, okay? And the, because the church, as we talked about last week, is the physical representation of God, right? That's, that is our call as a people, is to, to know God, to be like God, and to reveal God in this world. So in chapters 3 through 5, the, the preacher begins uh, to help us understand that we need to have a proper perspective for life. We need to know that the world, um, we need to know that, that uh, the world seeks and values things that God does not. And we need to see the difference in those two things. And because the world seeks one thing and God seeks another, we live as the church in the middle of this dichotomy, right? We're caught in the, in the crossfire kind of of that because the world is pulling us in one direction and God is pulling us in another direction. And you would think it would be easy for us to just pursue the Lord. But as we all know, because we are humans, we live in the flesh, there is that constant tension. And so it's important for us as the church to constantly be redirecting our focus back towards the Holy Spirit and allow that to give room for God to do that work in our lives. Um, one of the commentaries that I read this week said we need to develop the right outlook for the various times in our lives, for our place within communities, and our place in God's house as people who speak in his presence. And I love especially that last, that last phrasing there that we are people who speak in God's presence. We need to remember that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And so the things that we do, the things that we say, the decisions that we make are happening in God's presence, okay? The perspective that we hold on who we are in Christ is significant. And I think a lot of times it's more significant than we even realize. And so just like God's been challenging our understanding of our time here on earth, our relationships, our worship, he's going to challenge us today in the area of our finances, okay? Don't freak out on me. This is not a capital funds campaign message, okay? But just like God's been challenging all those areas in our lives, the text today is going to bring us 
to how we handle our money. And God needs to be the driving factor in that as well, okay? Because ultimately, how we handle our money reveals our understanding of who God is. And it reveals to all of those around us who do life with us who God is. So we're going to talk about money today, um, but, but this is not a message about giving more. Unless the Lord's telling you to give more, you just take that as the Lord speaks it, okay? But that's not my intent today, okay? Um, I did, I tell, was telling Bethany, I kind of fell into a, a, the trap that I often fall into. I'll read a chunk of, of scripture and go, this is a thought. So I'm going to preach this whole thought at one time. So what that would mean for us today is that we would have done verse 8 through verse 20. And I, in my naivety, was like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and so I go through, son, I'm making notes and it's going great. And, and I kind of made my outline and felt like here's the things that the Lord wants to, to point out. And so as I started kind of fleshing that out, I realized about two points in that there's no way that we would get through. It would have been about eight points in about an hour and a half. Uh, and that is inhumane. So we are not do that. That's cruel and unusual. So we're not going to do that today. I'm going to bust this up uh, into at least two messages. So um, next week will be a continuation of this week. So just plug that in your brain, okay? Instead of reading the entire passage like I typically do, what I want to do today is we're going to read a couple of verses at a time and kind of break this thing down and see these thoughts that the preacher is trying to, to get across to us. So we're going to begin today in Ecclesiastes, um, and we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. So read with me, if you will. It's up on the screen. Uh, if you've got the app open, it'll be in there as well. Or you can use an old school thing we call a Bible. I hardly ever, I, mine's a digital. I apologize if that offends you. But here we go, verses 8 through 9. If you see in a providence the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watching by a higher, and yet there are higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Okay, you might go, wait, well, what does that have to do with finances? I didn't see finances anywhere in that, Right? The, the key to this is in verse 9. I want to ask you a question. This, let's read verse 9 again. It says, but this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Why would a king be committed to cultivated fields? Think about it. A king does not work in those fields. A king does not plan what will be planted. He does not plant. He does not harvest. He does none of those things. So why does he care about the fields at all? He cares about the fields because ultimately that is his source of wealth and income. The things that are planted by the people that are under him, they sell those things. He collects taxes. Do you see the connection there? Okay. And we'll kind of just spell that out for you. But that's the connection. This is where we're seeing money from. from okay. He cares about it because it's his source of income. In this world, we see that there are those in positions of power above us, and often they reap the rewards of our labor. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you had a boss that was not great. Yeah, I see a couple of little head nods, little winks. When that happens, a lot of times there will be people in positions up above us who lord that position over us, and they get credit for the hard work that we do. And that doesn't feel good, right? Okay. Look, the preacher's not pointing this out to affirm that it's okay. He is saying, this is the reality that we live in. This is where we are. And so if we can simply identify it, if we can say this is the truth of the situation that we live in in the world that helps us gain new perspective, okay? 
he says in, in this text basically that our, word is, our world is hevel. It's upside down. It's broken. It's not the way that it should be. So point number one I want to make today is that there will always be someone with more than you. There will always be someone with more than you. The preacher is telling us that we should not be surprised by this. When we see someone that has more stuff than we have, that should not be surprising. It would be quite easy to take this text into a very political realm, and a lot of people do, but, but that's, I don't believe that's the intent of the text. I think the preacher's goal is not to, to upheave or change the world on a global scale, but I think he just wants to point out that it's just temporary. The preacher is simply highlighting that if we can, that if we can see that, that even money is heaven, right? We put a lot of value in how much we make and the things that we have, but at the end of the day, we're all going to pass away. And as we talked about, you know, several weeks ago, who's going to end up with that? Maybe your children will be wise and use it well, or maybe they won't and they'll squander it. We don't know. And so why would we put all of our emphasis on that? I don't know if you've thought about this or if it's something that hangs around in your subconscious, but the reality is, is that there are many, many people in this world who have significantly more money than we do. Do you think about that often? How do you feel about it? Does it bother you? Does it make you want to work harder so you can have all that stuff? Or does it not bother you at all? Wherever you find yourself in that scope, We need to learn to be at peace with what we have and not let that be what drives us to seek more wealth or possessions or not let it drive us at all. We need to be at peace. We'll talk about a little bit more today as we move into our passage a little bit more, but one of the things that we need the Lord to do for us is to get rid of the competitive drive that's in us to get more, to have more, and to be better than those around us. Our culture puts such a huge emphasis on possessions that we spend way too much time and energy thinking about whatever that next thing is. And I, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys, I am the, your, your pastor today is preaching from a place of guilt. right? I like nice stuff. But we need to let the Lord change our perspective on what's in, important in our lives. Verse 8 and 9 is telling us that we need to see our possessions, our wealth for what it is, And not be surprised by the fact that we don't have all the things that we want to have. We need to be content rather than spending our lives working to gain more. So why would the preacher tell us that? Why why is the preacher saying you just need to be content with you are? I'm glad you asked. Look at the next verse. Chapter uh, 5 verse 10. He said, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity or hevel. So point number two I want to make today is that if money is what we are pursuing, we will never have enough. If money is what we are pursuing, we will never have enough. I want to ask you a question. Don't answer this out loud. Just think about it in your head. Think about the first job you ever had. How much did you make per hour? Okay. Mine, I think, was five fifteen an hour. First real job. Was it enough to meet the needs that you had at the time? Would it be enough today? No, it would not. The issue that we face when it comes to our money is that we never have enough. I remember when I had my first job, I was in high school. I got a job because my dad informed me that if I wanted a truck, I had to buy one. And I also had to provide my own insurance. Sally, I hope you're listening. This will apply to you as well. I had to buy my own vehicle. I had to pay for my insurance and I had to pay for my gas. So I got a job. 
And I made just enough to cover those things and a few Mountain Dews. Probably more Mountain Dews than I should have bought, okay? The issue that we face with our money is that we don't have enough. The first wage I had would not be sufficient for the life that I live now. And the same is going to be true for you. As we move through life, let me just say this too. It's not just because of inflation that our first wage would not be enough for now. That's part of it, sure, right? But as we grow, as our families grow, as we get older, we pick up these additional bills. And some of those things are really good things, right? I I was thinking about this the other day that, that, you know, I've heard people say so many times that, you know, I just can't wait till I get my first apartment. And then they get that first apartment. They're like, man, I'm going to live here so long. And then, oh, man, I can't wait till I buy my first house. Okay, this is the house. We're going to live in this the rest of our lives. And then it's not very long. And, oh, man, we got, you see that new house that's up for sale? We just, we just keep going and we keep going and we keep going. Some of those things are good. Some of those things are things that the Lord has spoken for us to acquire. I'm not making a blanket statement that to want things is inherently bad because the Lord speaks those things for us. Okay, but many of the things that we spend our money on are not needs, but we place value on them to justify it. Again, speaking from a place of guilt, I am an excellent justifier. Anything I think I want, I can find a reason why I need it. Okay, I'm not saying this is good. I'm saying the Lord's working me too. Okay, when we spend our time looking at what others have and comparing our lives and ourselves to them, we end up buying things that we don't need. Our motivation isn't, isn't necessity, but rather it's just a desire to keep up, to have the latest and the greatest thing. When we've made our life about measuring up to the world standards of what a good life is, quote unquote, we'll never make it because the target keeps moving. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We're going to just continually be on this, on this treadmill of trying to seek the next great thing the preacher is trying to help us understand that if we make more money and gain more possessions if that's our goal we're never going to be satisfied we'll never get there not only are we not going to be satisfied but in fact gathering more and more wealth makes life harder not easier look at verse 11 with me he said when he says when goods increase they increase who eat them and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes So point number three for today is the the more money you have, the more that it is required of you. I want to quote someone today. Try not to laugh too hard, but today I'm going to quote the notorious B.I.G. Raise your hand if you know who that is. Okay. All right. I was telling Bethany yesterday. Huh? Glenn doesn't know who that is. (laughs) Huh? No, it's not you. The notorious B.I.G., had a very famous song, did very well in the charts, called Mo Money, Mo Problems. Okay? Think about that and listen to verse 11 again. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Mo Money, Mo Problem. Okay, so this song came out in 1997. Some of you may not have been born yet, which that was, I saw Bethany yesterday and we were both like, whoa. Okay? Or you may have never heard the song. Okay, but either way, the illustration still works. Okay, as a side note, I, the irony of this whole thing is not lost on me, right? Me telling you, quoting <laughs> Notorious B.I.G. while wearing cowboy boots. I know, okay? Even if you haven't heard the song, the illustration still works. This song was written by a host of people who were in the middle of chasing the American dream. 
I don't know if they ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, but it's obvious that they're seeing the same thing that the preacher sees. This is part of the course. It says, I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. That's almost the same as what the scripture is saying. So here's why I'm pointing this out. Scripture, the author of Ecclesiastes, is saying to us, a man who is obviously very wealthy, the more money you get, the more problems you're going to end up having. Okay, so here's a man who's chasing God, who's full of God's wisdom, and he's saying the more you gain, the more problems you're going to have. And on the opposite side of that is this group of people who write this song, who are actively chasing the American dream, and they are discovering the same truth. The more we have, the more problems we have. They're seeing a universal truth that has always been and will always be. The more we want and gain, the more we're going to be responsible for. Money and possessions don't make life easier. They make it more difficult. Jesus talked about this as well. I wanted to jump real quick to, to a story that we've probably heard before, but I want us to see it again today. This is Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug into the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who, who, he who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made you two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much more. Enter into your joy of your master. He also who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I, do not sow, where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested the money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine with my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who has not even, what he has shall be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the darkness and place it where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so in, in each of these men's lives in this parable we see that they're given different amounts of money and different responsibilities we've we've seen that we've heard that they're all expected to use it wisely and increase it for their boss right for the two that handled it well they're given more and for the one that did not handle it well what was given had been taken away and given to the one who was more responsible the same idea was also popularized by peter parker's uncle ben remember what uncle ben said with more power comes more responsibility. That's what this passage is talking about. 
What we can see is that when we are blessed with more than others, there is a responsibility that's placed on us to handle it well and to handle it with wisdom. There are some other things uh, we're to do as well, and we'll talk more about that next week. But the goal of the American dream is to gain as much wealth and status and power and possessions as possible. However, that pursuit often drives people crazy because think about it. In your mind, you think, if I have more money, if I have more possessions, I'll have more time to be relaxed. But the truth of Scripture and the truth of the world is, is that the more you have, the more responsible you have to be. And life doesn't get easier. In fact, it gets more difficult because now you have all of these things that you have to oversee. What would happen if we let God change our priorities and instead of chasing the dream, we spent that energy chasing God? The preacher is helping us to see the the hevel nature of gaining more, that we, we can spend our lives working and striving and building up for ourselves this kingdom, this wealth, these possessions. And, and like I said a while ago, at the end of the day, what's going to happen to it? You don't get to take it with you. We think that by getting richer, we're going to be able to spend more time relaxing, but that's not the case. Look with me at verse 12. He says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So the last point I want to make today, don't close your Bibles and we'll be a minute on this one, okay? But this is the last point, just giving you a heads up. We can rest in God's provision or work to make more and worry about losing what we've gained. I know that's a little long and wordy, but let me say it again. We can rest in God's provision, or we can work to make more and worry about losing what you've gained. We talked in this previous passage that we were made for work. We talked about when we were in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 13. It says, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Okay? God gave us work for our good. Right? So if God gave us work for our good, if that's what we are created to do is to work, to toil, to be busy, why does it often lead us away from God? The answer to that quite simply is sin, right? God created us to work, but within the confines of his direction. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he didn't say, go do whatever you want. He gave them very specific jobs and said, this is what you're responsible for. And the same is true for us. God didn't, we weren't born and he just throws us into the world and says, okay, go make something for yourself. He puts us into the world and his goal is that we would come to know him. And rather than us chasing our own dreams, our own desires, is that we would go to him and say, God, what is it that you have for me to do? I think this is, for me, one of the the reasons that abiding is so important. Because instead of me trying to figure out my life and figure out how to provide for my family and provide for myself and to be happy, instead I spend that time just pursuing the Lord, abiding in Him, and let Him take care of those things and resting in what He is doing in my life. It takes us off the hamster wheel that life puts us on and gives us more time to spend with with God and with our family instead of us just working constantly to gain something. When we're working to gain things for ourselves and not letting God be a part of that, we're taking that God, something that God made for our benefit and we're twisting it and turning it into sin. 
Bethany shared with me this week uh, something that she heard in a youth ministry webcast that she was in. The speaker was talking about how to avoid burnout. That was kind of the point of the the message. And he, he said this, he said, we should work from rest, not rest from work. Think about that for a minute. We should work from rest and not rest from work. I love that perspective because it emphasizes the idea that we need to first and foremost be pursuing God. If we're, our, if we're spending our time pursuing the Lord, that's not going to feel like work. That's, I, well, for me anyway, that doesn't feel like work. That feels like rest. Life is about our relationship with God, not about how much we're working for Him. That also, that idea models how Jesus lived. His life was not centered on the work of His ministry. His life was centered around God. He says that very clearly. He only does what the Father says. So Jesus' life is not about the work of His ministry. His life is about pursuing His Father and saying, God, Father, what do you want me to do? And then doing those things. The preacher's telling us that if we'll do the work that God has for us, we're going to find rest. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we choose to work for our own benefit, the goal of gaining as much as we can, we're going to be fat, just like the rich person that's described in verse 12. But we'll never be rested. Because we're going to spend our entire lives, all of our energy, all of our brain space, on gaining and trying to keep the wealth that we have. This idea is like so much of the gospel. It's the complete opposite of what the world tells us we should pursue. The American dream says, go out, make a lot of money, buy all the things, retire early, enjoy your life. But how often does that really work out? I mean, there are some people who are obscenely wealthy, and from the outside it may look like that's what they're experiencing, but I bet if you really dug down to the heart of it, that wouldn't be the case. That there are areas of their life where they are miserable. Scripture tells us that if we want to be happy, we need God. If we're focused on God, He's going to provide for our every need. We, get, we have to, to not allow ourselves to be tricked into thinking that working hard is what God wants or desires. Should we be diligent in our work, the things that God's called us to? Yes. But what the enemy and what the world tries to tell us is if we want God to be happy with us, we need to work really hard at everything. Just do all the things. Look at Psalm 50 with me, verse 7 through 15. Because we, we have this idea in our minds often that, that God wants us to work really hard and build these really grand lives, right? But listen to what the psalmist says. He says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify again to you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that move in the fields is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God's saying, I don't, I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need your hard work. What I want is you. I want a relationship with you. In a world that's obsessed with making more, what we work for and towards reveals God's love. 
right? If we spend our lives like everybody else working to build up our, our own kingdoms, the message that we're sending in the world is that that's what's important to God, right? If we, the church, by the way we live, by the choices that we make, by the things that we buy, by the way that we spend our money, if all of that is focused on us, what does it tell the world? Well, obviously the church is a representation of God. People may not say that, but they, they, they know it. That's in our brains. If, if we spend all our time and money pursuing things for ourselves, they assume that that's what God's going to be happy with. The way that we spend our money is a lot bigger than just us. If we spend our lives, however, focused on God and His people, we are showing God's love in a broken world because we are living different from culture. We're saying that those things aren't important. You are important. And when that happens, we're going to be like a cool breeze to a person that's, that's wet with sweat from working hard, right? You know how good that feels. It's refreshing. People enjoy it. They'll welcome that. This world is telling people that they need to work harder and make more money. And honestly, a lot of churches share that same sentiment because it means they get to put more in that plate, Right? But that's not God's desire for us. His desire is for us to abide in Him, to be obedient to what He's calling us to do, and that's enough. And then He is going to be our provider. We're going to talk more about that next week. Several of the commentaries this week pointed to the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy, and I want to read a chunk of that because I want you to see what Paul is telling Timothy in regards to our money and our ministry. We're going to start in verse 3. Read along with me. He said, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil uh, suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved in truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life for which you were called and about which you uh, made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and to Christ Jesus who is his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set up their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, 
who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. But Paul is clear that we need to be content with what God provides. If we're pursuing Him, He will be our provision. We will have what we need. It may not be all that we want, but it will be all that we need. And not only that, but if the pursuit of wealth, it's the pursuit of wealth that leads people away from the faith. He tells us that we need to be rich, but we need to be rich in good works. It's our willingness to listen to the Holy Spirit that makes us rich, and not by the world's standards, but by God's. In doing that, um, we'll not only be content, but we're going to have enough. We will have what we need. And on top of that, we're going to be willing to share what we have with those who need it. We're going to talk more about this next week, but we need to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal where we stand in reference to our work and our possessions. I want to ask you this week to ask yourself some questions. And these are in the Faith Life app, if you'll go pull that up. But it says, are we, are, some of these questions that I wrote are, are we working under our own direction for ourselves, or are we following God's lead? Are we willing to share as God leads, or are we quick to say no? Do we trust God to provide, or do we put our, our trust in our own abilities? Ask God to reveal your true motivation. Think about the way that you spend your money, the way you invest in people around you, and let God work in you. In doing so, we're going to gain the right perspective. Again, the purpose of the study of this book is to, to understand God's love in this broken world. We're called to be that. And, and as I've said last week, and I'm saying again this week, the only way that happens is by allowing the Holy Spirit to continue to work in every area of our lives. And I know when you get in somebody's pocketbook, it gets personal, okay? But it's not me. I don't care what's in your pocketbook. That's between you and the Lord. What I'm asking is that you invite him into the decision-making as you're writing your checks, as you're paying your bills, as you're choosing what to buy. Let's pray together. Father, it is your goal for us that we would trust you to be our provider. That we could live in such a way that we're not worried about our balances. What we're worried about is what you're asking us to do. That we're being obedient. God, it's, it's my hope and my prayer for all of us that this week that we will allow you to step into that part of our lives if you're not already there. And that you would show us that you are provider. And that you would let us see the ways in which you can provide more for us than we could ever imagine. That as you call us to step out in faith, that you're going to say, hey, look, I know you thought you couldn't afford this, but watch what I'm doing. Let me show you who I am. Father, help us to, to see you as our provider. Help us to, to understand that the way that we spend reveals who you are to this world. Work in us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.